1: into the bleachers a two-run homer a swing and a miss ball game liftoff and history marches on 22 consecutive wins
0: from the sports
1: desk of the akron beacon journal and ohio.com this is leading off with ryan lewis a podcast on cleveland baseball santana makes the catch ball game the Indians have won. The American League pennant. The Cleveland Indians are going to the World Series. Now, Ryan Lewis and Ashley Bastock. Welcome to Leading Off a Podcast on Cleveland Baseball. I'm Ashley Bastock here with our beat writer at the Akron Beacon Journal, Ryan Lewis. Ryan, let's jump right into some news from Wednesday. We are recording this on Thursday, August 26th. Uh, Tristan McKenzie has been placed on the 10-day IL with right shoulder fatigue, and Lo- Logan Allen has been recalled in his place. So what does this mean broadly? Like, what is it for if you were somebody who saw this headline yesterday and were panicking, uh, about another starting pitcher going to the IL. What what exactly does this
0: right shoulder fatigue diagnosis, if you want to call it that, mean? Uh, from a larger picture standpoint, I think it means that the team is, above all else, focused on, you know, what's best for him long-term. Um, and even though he had been electric in his last two starts and clearly put some things together, um, you know, Antonetti and DeMarlo Hale have both talked about how how well he's attacked the zone. And he looks like a completely different pitcher uh, from where he was in you know May and, and June, especially when, um, uh, when he had an outing where he couldn't even get out of the first inning because his command issues were just continually snowballing on him um, to where now he's, you know, he's clearly put things together and he's kind of hit that ceiling in a super small sample. It's like a two or three start sample, but like this is the ceiling that was always kind of there, at least for short runs. Um, but, uh, you know, just as he hit that, uh, you know, he reported just not feeling quite as well after his last start than he normally does. So the team decided to shut him down because, you know, his long-term uh, uh health is is what's going to kind of drive everything. You know, same with Shane Bieber, same with Aaron Savali. Um, you know, and, and this is also something where pitcher health this season, especially as we got later into the season, um, that was – kind of of a, a standing concern with, with a lot of teams because the 2020 season was so short. And even though pitchers were throwing, uh, you know, some, you know, in their backyards during the shutdown, they were throwing, uh, you know, away from the field. Uh, there weren't as many, you know, high leverage, high stress innings. Um, so this, this season then kind of had that that extra layer of concern, especially as we got closer. And then when we get into September, about possibly having some especially younger pitchers you know possibly uh, tapering tapering off some workloads um, and and things like that um so with this you know it it, it may not you know it might not mean much uh, you know for the long term but it's with with the long term in mind that the team just didn't want to have him uh, you know keep pitching right now you know because they you know they're you know clearly they've been excited with with what they've been able to have you know once he got healthy uh, you know and and was able to make his debut in 2020. Um, so it's really just with that in mind. Uh, You know, there are a lot of teams around the league, that, especially with younger pitchers, are just being mindful, being careful um, with some guys to make sure that they don't overextend anybody, anybody and, uh, you know, lead into 2022 with something lingering, which is kind of the last, the worst case scenario and the last thing that they want.
1: And off the field, and uh, an update on Terry Francona. I know you guys got one here pretty pretty recently. So what's what do we know about Tito, and what's what's going on with some of these procedures that he's had? Uh,
0: Chris Antonetti relayed that um, the first surgery, which was the hip procedure, uh, you know, went well, and you know, uh, Francona is progressing from that, and he's been able to be at the park a little bit. And then the uh, the toe slash foot procedure is scheduled for early september within the next few weeks and that uh is the one that requires uh the kind of the lengthier and the the more kind of detailed you know rehab process where he can't really you know put weight on it i I think it's for eight to ten weeks you know but this was you know this was the point of you know stepping away now and trying to address all of these issues now because the rehab process you know for a hip procedure and a toe procedure and everything that he's had to deal with and kind of grind through to manage the team for as long as he did over the last couple of years, you know, those things build up and, and, and he, he's hoping to address them. And it's, it probably won't be the, the most enjoyable next few weeks or months, you know, as he works his way back from these things. But, you know, the, the goal of, or the point of doing those, you know, these things now is that, you know, the hope is that he can return, uh you know, for spring camp in, uh, you know, early February, next spring, you know, feeling well and feeling like, you know, he can put as much focus and, you know, attention and really enjoyment of the job into it as uh, as he always has.
1: Well, truthfully, this year wouldn't be a leading off pod unless we started with some some injury news, something our listeners are very familiar with at this point. But let's let's move to uh, our typical banter. Fun fact, I'm waiting. I currently have an over-the-counter at-home COVID rapid test going, even though I am vaccinated. I am, uh, as Ryan and I talked off mic, perpetually paranoid, and drum roll, please. It is negative. So, yay. yay. So excited. So excited. Um Now we can do the rest of this pod with ease and without my anxiety looming over it. Um So let's move to some evaluation and development talk, which... We hit you guys with some of that last week. Uh, but as Ryan wrote about, this is about to be a huge chunk of the remainder of Cleveland's season with their playoff hopes all but evaporated at this point. So, um, obviously let's start with the infield, uh, which you wrote about. Obviously there's a plethora of middle infielders. We've talked about that before a lot, quite a bit, most recently in the context of the Cesar Hernandez trade to the White Sox. Um, but you, you wrote some in detail about how Ahmed Rosario is entering arbitration. He's under club control through the 2023 season. So he remains likely more of a short-term option at shortstop until some of these other prospects are ready. Then you have Andres Jimenez. Uh, he was the long-term addition from the Francisco Lindor deal. He's only 22. He opened the season with Cleveland. But he spent most of the year in AAA. So what's your analysis of the situation there and kind of give a rundown of some of the prospects that could be coming up and who are in play that are potentially going forward in the years to come?
0: Yeah, and I mean, with both those guys, um, you know, they, they could theoretically form uh, the double play tandem uh, for opening day 22 when it, it'll be the Guardians, and we'll have a Guardians podcast um, it's also possible. It's very possible that Rosario also, uh, you know, could be moved around. Um, and that may be, you know, the, the impetus for that may be more so that Jimenez is, is, you know, viewed as the hopeful answer at shortstop long term, And, you know, they they'd like to get him there if they can. And, uh, you know, Rosario is not the best defensive shortstop, but, you know, offensively he's, you know, he's certainly done enough to remain in the lineup, especially against lefties. He's, you know, he's been a, a, Pop the lineup level producer against lefties. Um, so, you know, Rosario could potentially be moved around and it, that could affect a, a number of spots. And, and again, you know, things like Josh Naylor's health, um, things like that. Uh, you know, there, there are just so many, you know, variables that, that can, that can kind of go into it. Um, but those two guys, you know, they, they do have options, you know, as middle infielders, um, uh, clearly. Uh, and then Rosario can be moved around to, to have some flexibility, but then behind those guys, just up and down the system, you know, the, Cleveland's number one ranked prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, is now Tyler Freeman, uh, who is who was done for the year. He, he underwent surgery, and he you know will likely need some time in AAA. So this won't this you know this isn't going to be an opening day 2022 thing, but but he is you know certainly looming, Um and he, you know he he too could kind of be moved around a little bit. If you go down their top 30 prospects list, it's just infielder after infielder after infielder, and, then, and that was one of the reasons why. You know Cesar Hernandez was traded because it, it, it allowed several guys to to move up. It allowed several y- younger players like you know Owen Miller, Yu Chang, Ernie Clement. It opened up just a few more at bats uh, for for all of those guys. And so there was it was kind of of a, a a domino effect. And you know Cleveland didn't feel that you know Cesar Hernandez was not going to be in their long term plans. Um, it was probably a little jarring for some fans to see him traded to Chicago you know but as Antony pointed out um you know it, a, a player of hernandez's level could have been acquired elsewhere so they decided to pull the trigger and they decided to be the ones to benefit from it um but there're just so many guys where you know that's really a level of surplus um and, and as they look to in, and again we you know we've talked about the uh, the rule 5 you know roster crunch that's coming up um and there're just so many infielders there that there could be quite, there could be quite a bit of turnover this fall. Um, you know, with guys like Yu Chang, uh, guys like potentially Ernie Clement, Owen Miller, that group, um, you know, they're, they're kind of working out a, a little bit of a pecking order because they're all fairly similar, but you know, in and, and, and Yu Chang has probably fallen behind that group a little bit, but he's also homered and, and back to back nights. So maybe he finishes September strong and just adds to the complexity of the situation. But that's kind of where they are, where the, the, their future amongst middle infielders there's so much depth in the minor league system it's just a matter of kind of figuring out the short term and, and and who will emerge but for now you know Tyler Freeman is kind of the leader of that group once he recovers um he should be he should be good to go uh you know for uh the, the beginning of the 2022 season uh could likely start the year at AAA a and and you know possibly not be too far down the road away from the majors but that's also part of the value of having a Med Rosario where you know, he provides you some flexibility where he doesn't have to stay at shortstop, but he can. Having Jimenez at the major league level with plenty of control also adds to that. So there's the, there's a lot of flexibility there and and, and quite a few moving parts. Uh, but if you look at Cleveland's organization, you know, they're, the starting pitching has been the backbone. But in terms of the minor league farm system, it, it, it's the middle infielders and just the depth of talent that they have in the surplus that they could use to – um, that they could use on, on the trade market or, or they can, you know, see how guys develop and, and just know that, you know, those positions will be addressed and then kind of sort that out later.
1: So now listeners, if you will, hop in the time machine with us, let's go back to April or May. And it's almost funny to think about that time now when the first baseman job starting first baseman job was ever a major question because, Bobby Bradley has essentially seized control of that now. It's probably fair to say. Um, and obviously he did just start a rehab assignment dealing with a, an injury there, but going forward, I think that's probably a fair assumption to make at this point. So, um, but even looking back at this season, possibly looking ahead, what's the trickle down effect of him emerging there as the, the very likely starting first baseman going forward?
0: Yeah, that can just kind of adjust, you know, the secondary moves that come from that, whether it be within the organization, on the trade market, or on, uh, the free agent market. And, and one variable that's kind of tied to all of it is actually Fran Moraes, uh, who is likely going to continue to act as the, the designated hitter. He's gotten some time in the outfield that's always been kind of on the, on the horizon of being a potential possibility, maybe, that he could play some right field and answer one of those questions where if he, if he can be you know a viable option at least you know nothing that's going to you know kill them defensively in right or left field uh that that kind of solves one of those issues and then Bobby Bradley can be the first baseman or the DH it opens up some so just some more possibilities if that doesn't happen Bobby Bradley's the first baseman the way that Cleveland and some other teams need to operate that that's kind of the basis of why Jake Bowers was given the first shot um, there was a belief that he would be claimed. There was a belief that you know, he would not be in the organization if he had to be exposed to waivers, um, as Antonetti noted, you know, a, a few months ago. So they 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 wanted to allow Jake Bowers to try to have the first shot. As soon as that became clear that you know it was time to move on, and Bobby Bradley began to heat up in, in Columbus, it just became clear that you know it was it was time to move on. So that that's Bradley's spot. At first base, so that's that's one of the options. And again, that doesn't mean that you know he's you know clearly an, an all star level player, but he's done enough to where he's you know he's he's earned a little bit more of a of a of a leash you know so to speak Uh to where he's still a younger hitter. He certainly hasn't figured things out, uh, but as if he can continue to adjust and keep the strikeouts just at bay a little bit. Uh, you know, he'll he'll provide enough value at first base to where that does make some sense. So from there, you have first base and, and, and DH most likely kind of secure. And that then leads to everything else again with, with first base again, with Josh Naylor, who could be your backup at first base if needed, if, if Bobby Bradley does go down. Because right now, you know, as we've seen, there wasn't really an answer behind Bobby Bradley at first base where, um, you know, you have the utility guys, you have Owen Miller and, and, and Yu Chang and some options there. Um, but, you know, long term, that's certainly not going to be the case. But just first base is it's kind of one of the spots that is going to have to be solved um, or sorry, it has been solved, uh, you know, with Bobby Bradley's emergence. And who knows if that will continue um but you know with with him being hurt you know they're they're certainly not going to rush him back he 's dealing with a knee injury um and again, everything is kind of geared to where they haven't really given up on the twenty twenty two or the twenty twenty one season but just with how things stand with with how the wild card situation is playing out with how with how well the white sox have been playing it, it is kind of a a a realistic uh you know just matter of the situation um that Cleveland can kind of start to look toward 2022 and set some things up, give some playing time in order to make some roster decisions. Um, you know, but behind Bobby Bradley, that's kind of one answer that they haven't gotten yet is, is, is who will handle first base if something does happen going forward. Um, because again, there, you know, there could be a lot of roster maneuvering and Josh Naylor can play first base. So once he's healthy, uh, you know, where he could primarily play right field, but he could slide down to first base if needed. Um but the issue there again is that both guys are left handed so that wouldn't work for any kind of a platoon situation that's just injury. So with first base, it's really just kind of kinda of figuring out who can play behind them because they've had some turnover there and there there hasn't been stability there for so long. That Bobby Bradley securing that is is kind of step one and then step two is is kind of figuring out the depth, I think is the way to kind of uh encapsulate that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You you summarized it very well. You summarized it more than I could, I uh, think. Um but <laughs> let's, uh, let's go on to the last major spot in the infield that you wrote about, uh, and obviously we've talked a ton about Cleveland has maybe the two best defensive catchers in baseball in Roberto Perez and Austin Hedges, but you wrote a bit about the money situation there going forward, so what's the, the notable things to
0: know there? So with Roberto Perez, um who had this standout 2019 season where you know, that spring, he said he wanted to prove some people wrong with his offense and he certainly delivered on that had, you know, compared to his career levels and especially considering that he provides, you know, elite value defensively. He had a tremendous offensive season, all things considered. Um, so moving forward, if, you know, if that picks up or even just keeps up, you know, his club options are, are, are pretty market friendly at that point and it can be pretty easy decisions. However, since the end of 2019, he hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Um, he hasn't been able to sustain that kind of offensive level. And that doesn't, you know, the, the injuries that he's had, it doesn't necessarily mean that those would continue. Um, however, it does mean that he hasn't really had the chance to show that uh, 2019, you know, was not a mirage. He hasn't really had a chance to establish more of an offensive track record. Um, so all of a sudden, it's not really a done deal, that Roberto Perez will have his 2022 club option picked up because Cleveland can save roughly six and a half million. They still have Austin Hedges, um, who will be making a little bit more, uh, than, than what he is likely, you know, right now, but you know, nothing, uh, you know, too substantial. And, uh, you know, it, the catcher position could be part of this rule five roster crunch. And then that adds another layer to it. So with Roberto Perez, like all of a sudden it's just not quite as, as, as much of a a secure spot or or, or as much of a done deal. And Cleveland values defensive catchers about as much as any team in the league. Um, You know, Francona has mentioned it for years, even going back to Jan Gomes, uh, that whatever they get offensively is kind of viewed as a bonus for them. And that how catchers handle the pitching staffs, how they call games, how they uh, manage uh, the running game, all of those things will, will take precedence over whatever they do offensively. Which is kind of why Roberto Perez's 2019 was, was such a, 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 strong value, uh, you know, for this team because he's also, uh, you know, handling things defensively. But with Austin Hedges available, uh, with a few catchers, they'd like to add on to the 40 man roster. It kind of becomes more of a fluid situation where they have some options now. They have some flexibility. Um, so Roberto Perez's club option is kind of one of the major question marks. And, you know, they've, they've noted they have a lot of difficult decisions. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the one of the ones that has come to the forefront recently.
1: And then we teased it a little bit last week. I know we talked about it, but you you did a similar breakdown for the outfield and where things are going to stand going there. But Cleveland has very likely found its answer at center field in the form of Miles Straw, which again, I think we talked about last week, but going into 2022 for the first time in a long time, it seems like the corner outfields fielder spots are going to be a bit murkier. So you wrote about with Straw in center that leaves Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado, Harold Ramirez, and Daniel Johnson already on the forty-man roster. Before considering any possible free agent acquisitions or trades, uh, it will include Josh Naylor when he's off the IL as well. And just like you talked about a few minutes ago, it could possibly include Franmil Reyes. So what does all of that mean for those two spots going into next year and beyond?
0: I mean, it's clearly again, you know, just as it was last winter, you know, the corner outfield spot is likely the the key target in free agency or trades because while, you know, they've had so much depth and so much young depth available in house that there was a sense that they probably needed to run through some of those guys to figure out what they had. But that time has kind of closed with Bradley Zimmer, Mercado, uh, and Harry Ramirez, they're all out of options next spring. Which that's even before they get through this Rule Five roster crunch in November. Uh, so if they make it through that, then they're all out of options, which cuts down on on some flexibility. Josh Naylor is a a major uh, you know question mark, I guess, or, or wild card in terms of Opening Day because it's unclear if he'll be available. Fred Morales will probably remain as as the DH, but again, if he if he goes to the, to the outfield, that that takes away another spot. But with those three guys, and especially Zimmer and Mercado, who have had success in the past, but Mercado, you know, just like Roberto Perez, has not really been able to repeat his 2019 levels. Uh He did, did hit a home run last night. But and with those three guys, um, well, I guess two, and then when Harold Ramirez can return from from the IL, September's a, a very big month for them. Um, because, you know, Bradley Zimmer had a tremendous, you know, several-week stretch, but he has since, you know, in a pretty drastic way, uh, uh, cooled off. Um, so all of a sudden that, that, that situation continues to change. But with those three guys, you have three outfielders who are all out of options. Uh, none of them are going to play center field, uh, which does take away, you know, some of the value, uh, because you're, you're going to want, you know, some more offense in, in those corner spots if possible, especially with, with the, the shape up that the lineup has taken, uh, you know, in, in recent years. So that does take away some of that and kind of shine. But Demarco Hale did talk a few weeks ago. He mentioned with Bradley Zimmer that sometimes guys just take longer to figure out or f- figure it out. If he can finish the season strong, he's likely shown enough, uh, you know, to warrant some more time. Uh, but you know, being out of options really does, you know, it, in certain situations, it it can help you because the team won't want to lose some some forty man depth. They're not going to lose they're not going to want to lose guys without giving them as much of a shot as humanly possible. But there are also times when being out of options can really hurt you because if it, if it limits a team's flexibility, you know, not every guy is going to be able to be kept within the organization. So that may lead to a trade uh, or being exposed to waivers. Um, so, so for those three guys, September is a really big month where it may not even be enough to make it or break it either way anyway. But in terms of trying to show, You know, where guys stand heading into 2022, it it, it could factor into some decisions, um, where again, Mercado had like a week or two where he, he seemingly began to turn around, but that, you know, that kind of fire just hasn't really been there since 2019 when he hit 15 home runs and he stole 15 bases. It it looked like center field would be his for several years and that just hasn't really happened. Um, so for those three guys and, and then you also have Daniel Johnson, I, you know, there, there are several younger guys, which has kind of been their, not mo but it's that that's been the situation with Cleveland's outfield for years but they're also reach they're now reaching the point where uh with with guys being out of options that window has kind of closed and some you know some more hardline decisions will have to be made pretty soon
1: All right, we made it we made it through some evaluation talk. Uh so time for a nice little pop culture corner at the end. White Lotus is over. I don't know what to do cuz like Without a typical Sunday night HBO show, who even am I? But
0: what are you watching lately? Uh, so we watched Tomorrow War, that movie on I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, I think
1: that was uh, Hollywood's least favorite Chris <laughs> Pratt. Yeah, that's and, uh, I, I'm, that's not necessarily my opinion. It just is what Twitter has dubbed him.
0: <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's that Chris and uh, Mrs. Waterford.
1: Yeah, that's why I can't. I I can't watch that movie strictly because I'm. I'm so sorry. I don't know that actress's name. I don't remember it at the moment, but she is just Serena Joy to me.
0: <laughs>
1: well, and I I can't unsee it. I can't take her away from that role. I, I'm not going to be able to watch her in anything else. I don't think. But that's a that's
0: a personal hump I need to get over. You know. And I'm, I'm sure actors hate to hear this, but like with me, hundred percent. That's that's like like Rain Wilson, who was Dwight Schrute on The Office. It's really difficult to not see Dwight Schrute. Of course, anywhere he goes. Um, yeah, that that was pretty good. I don't know. I don't. We've been running through Friends again, just to kind of run through some stuff because it's a little bit of a. We're waiting on Peaky Blinders, which is an amazing show, but that won't be back for a while. I can't remember if some others are coming out. It's a little bit of a dead zone right now because I think everybody finished White Lotus and everybody finished Handmaid's Tale and like, so right, like in this moment, I think a lot of people are searching. I've heard Ted Lasso is amazing, but we haven't seen it yet. It is. You haven't seen
1: any of Ted Lasso?
0: No. And I, I can't get on my phone without seeing somebody tweet or post how, on how awesome. It's
1: literally my cover photo on Twitter is from Ted Lasso.
0: We don't have Apple TV at the moment. We have like every, we have like every single other streaming service except for that one.
1: I was dragging my feet on that. And then I finally got it uh last summer because I wanted to watch the morning show because that was getting a bunch of Emmy buzz. And that show alone was worth it to me. And then Ted Lasso came out and I was like, oh, my gosh, so the, like Ted Lasso alone, I think, is is worth the Apple TV plus subscription. Um it's such a feel-good show. Jason Sudeikis is so good. Uh the supporting cast so good. You really that that that's your homework.
0: That's your next show you need to watch. I mean I I do really really like Jason Sudeikis and everything he's ever been in. Yeah, I mean everyone does. That's not a hot take. Uh mob.com's Mandy Bell recommended Manifest, which apparently was on NBC for 3 seasons and then something happened where like they were going to cancel it and then The show's fans made it, like, Netflix's Netflix's top show, and so now they may bring it back just out of sheer, like, will of the fan base, which is kind of awesome.
1: Yeah, that's happened with like a handful of shows before where like streaming. Pla- I mean, obviously, most famously, it happened with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is back for its final season now on NBC. That's a show that started on Fox. NBC picked it up. So that was a, a different uh, situation because a different network picked it up. But now we're seeing the, the streaming platforms pick things up, especially Netflix, which did that with Designated Survivor,
0: too, is like the one that comes to my mind. We were trying to do that with Mindhunter and just, like, will it back into existence.
1: Wait, it's not coming back?
0: I don't know. It just, for a while, it was in... Here, we'll do some live. Um, for a while, it was just in it, it was in limbo of whether there'd be anything past Season 2. This it was is, likely to take place, but it has not been renewed. Ugh.
1: They better renew it. This is thrilling
0: audio content, by the way. It's live. No, Mindhunter is... Yeah, Mindhunter is a total... Um, it's... If anyone is looking for a show, especially drama, yeah, Peaky Blinders and Mindhunter would be two really good options. Um Those are the two that when we caught up after binging, I was probably the saddest that we had caught up. That Those two, and, and of course, Handmaid's Tale, which we... It's, it's a Tale gone. podcast at its
1: core. Right.
0: I don't, we
1: well, talk small like the other, you know, give or take 42 weeks of the year that Handmaid's Tale is not... uh not occurring, releasing new episodes, uh, but beyond that, Ryan's main goal is to slowly turn the people over into expecting more Handmaid's Tale talk than baseball.
0: One day he might get there. A Handmaid's Tale podcast broke out at, in, in the baseball podcast. Or is that vice versa? I don't even know. Wait, what did you say? It was a Handmaid's Tale I guess it was a baseball podcast broke out of the Handmaid's Tale podcast because really it's a Handmaid's Tale podcast.
1: Yeah, and it's hard when you started it. You were like, the people want to know about June. That's all they care about. This is what we should be talking about. How can we equate June to baseball?
0: Let's find a way. I mean, if if, it, if anybody watches the Fenway Park scene, you'll be you'll oh, be no. hooked.
1: It's, that it scene, is- awful. oh god, I, I can't even think about it. It is in the premiere episode of season two. If you don't know what we're talking about, but
0: like it's. It's a scene, like there are certain scenes, like the red wedding with Game of Thrones. Is, Never seen it. Is, but like, but like those scenes are ones where if you bring it up to a fan of the show, they will have a like physical reaction. Like you'll see it like in their, like their eyes will light up and everything. And that's, that's one of those scenes that's just, it was so good. Yeah, go watch that. Handmaid's Tale, Peaky Blinders. What was their one? Mindhunter. Hunter. God, there's so many good shows.
1: Oh, gosh, Ryan. Okay, well, you know, our eyes light up when we get to talk Handmaid's Tale and Cleveland baseball, with the side of Cleveland baseball. But it is time to go. So until next time, you can find all of Ryan's work uh, under the Cleveland Guardians tab in the sports section of Cle- uh, BeaconJournal.com. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at ByRyanLewis. You can find me on Twitter at AshleyBastock42. Um, And also, be sure to check out our new Friday night podcast highlighting Akron area high school football called the Beacon Blitz. So please go listen to that right after you're done with this. Go find our week one episode on BeaconJournal.com. And until next time. We will be figuring out more ways to equate Handmaid's Tale to baseball. And bring back Mindhunter.